Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, wow. What a week. What a week. I want to do a couple things first. First of all, I want to let you guys know, those of you who are watching online, maybe for the first time, we're so glad that you are, are watching online. Those of you who may be visiting us for the first time, thank you for being here today here at Heights. We are so glad that you are here. One of the things that we are trying to do here at Heights Christian Church is we are going through the Bible in five years period of time. And we're a little over the halfway mark right now, and we're in Second Kings. And if you would like to continue and follow along with us, because what we do is we read as a congregation together six days during the week and then we come together in this place and we break the passage from what we've read either in whole or in part so that we learn what the word of god says and how it applies to our lives and how it exalts the name of jesus so if you'd like to be a part of that study what you can do is you can text the word pdf to that number 505-207-4443 and you'll get an electronic copy of that uh uh, of that study that we're going through. If you're here and you'd like a hard copy of it, I believe we have some over at the information desk that you can get a, a hold of before you leave today so you can follow along with us as we go on during the week. Uh, currently, we are in Second Kings, and last week we were supposed to do chapters 1 through 8, and you will actually find that sermon online as I recorded that sermon that was supposed to be there on uh, Thursday of last week. So those of you who say, well, we kind of missed out, don't know what's going on, well, you actually have a sermon. You can find it online at, Heights, uh, at our Heights Christian Facebook page. You can also find it at heightschristian.org and uh, go to our sermons, and it's their audio as well. And so this week together what we've read is 2 Kings chapter 8 through 12. And um, the sermon today is called Countercultural Kings. Because what we read in this passage of scripture is very interesting. We have the northern kingdom of Israel. We have the southern kingdom of Judah. And, and what has happened is the northern kingdom as we've been following has been under King Ahab. And, and the rule of King Ahab for all of this time. And between him and his wife Jezebel there's been a lot of Baal worship and and Asphorus worship and lots of idol worship has been introduced into the land. Um, and this infection of idol worship has not just infected the northern kingdom, but as we read these chapters of 8 through, through 12, we find that it actually infects the southern kingdom as well, as King Joram would marry uh, Ahab's daughter. And so he marries into the kingdom from the north. And the southern kingdom becomes corrupted as well. And so in the northern kingdom, we have this corruption lasting about 35 years. You know, that's, that's happening before we see Jehu, who's, going to, who's been anointed by God, by the prophet Elisha, to become king of the northern kingdom. And he's been given a commission by God in chapters 9 and 10 that he is to go and destroy the entire house of Ahab to kill Jezebel who has plunged the entirety of the nation of Israel the northern kingdom of Israel into idolatry and and he goes on to wipe out Baal worship from the northern kingdom this is probably the closest to revival that you ever see in the northern kingdom he's not necessarily called a good king in the north the north doesn't have any designated good kings but he's not necessarily called an evil king either because he tries very hard to wipe things out from the northern kingdom. And so what we see 
is that he kills off all of Ahab's descendants that are there in the northern kingdom. He kills off uh, Jezebel, and then he plans this this festival, if you will, this worship session with the prophets of Baal for the purpose of killing those prophets of Baal. And he goes on and says, you know, King Ahab only served Baal a little bit. I'm going to serve Baal a lot, so bring everybody in. And the scripture says that he made sure that none of the prophets of God were included in the prophets of Baal. Had 80 men stationed outside, and he said, you don't let anybody leave here alive. And we see this violent break, if you will, from the past that is taking place in the northern kingdom. Because they're trying to become more devoted to God. Perfect devotion, not even close. The sins of Jeroboam are still there, so we still have the calf idols in the northern and southern parts of the kingdom, and that was never taken away, and it's actually held against Jehu for not doing so. But Jehu is trying to do the will of the Lord that he's been commissioned to do by the prophet Elisha and trying to show himself faithful to God in the midst of all of that. And I think it mirrors a break in the past of what happens to you and me when we come to know Jesus Christ. When you and I come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's oftentimes a necessary violent break of the past if we want to break past all of those things that we used to do. We're warned so many times in the scriptures concerning uh, our relationship with Christ that we're not supposed to go back to our old way of life. That those things are old, we're dead, we're a new person in Christ. And I think what we see with Jehu in this violent uh, retelling of this purging of this this, um, past life of the people of Israel. We get an idea of what we're supposed to do as believers. Now this does not mean that you're supposed to go out and all your old friends, you're supposed to kill them, okay? I just want that to be said right here. Nobody is advocating that type of violence, okay? However... Let's be honest. Old sins trip us up, don't they? Doesn't matter what they are. Whether it is alcoholism or drugs, it could be pornography, it can be any number of things. Hanging out with the wrong people, being in gangs, all of that is part of our past, isn't it? I, if I started asking the story of you guys, where you guys came from, some of you would say, you know, my past looked a whole lot like the, the kingdom of Israel. It was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. I was not worshiping God. I was doing everything against what God was. And when I came to know Jesus, I had to throw all of that away. I know many people who have come to know Jesus Christ who would say, you know, I just can't hang out with my old friends anymore. They're too much of a temptation for me. And I have to tell them, you know, it was great being around you, but I can't do this anymore. I can't be around you anymore. And it's an offensive thing to hear, isn't it? If you're a friend of somebody else and they would tell you, I can't be around you because of the things you do, that's offensive. It's a violent break of a friendship, isn't it? Really, that's, that's pretty offensive. But you know what? Some of us need to do that, don't we? That coming to know Jesus Christ is such a transformation of our mind and our heart to not get thrown back into that lifestyle again. We have to make a break. We have to turn everything around. I think Jehu represents that for the kingdom of north in Israel. I really do. As we look at this passage of scripture. And then in the southern kingdom, here's an interesting thing that happened. 
So we have Jehoram, who's, who's one of the descendants of the kings that are coming down from the southern kingdom. And he marries into Ahab's family. And Ahab's family gets a, a foothold within Israel, within Judah, excuse me, the southern kingdom. For about 15 years, we see this influence that would come through Ahab's family. To the point that when Azahiah is killed, his mother, Athaliah, takes over the throne for six years. Kills all the other people who are, who are of the royal lineage except Joash is preserved. And Athaliah is the one ruling Israel. And Athaliah is the granddaughter of Omri, who's king from the north. So in reality, what we have for about six years period of time is the northern kingdom actually ruling both the northern and the southern kingdom of Judah. Kind of a strange way that that all came about. But all of that influence happens. And so when you talk about King Ahab and tell Jehu, we got about 30, 35 years during that time. But in the southern kingdom, with the influence of Ahab and his family, that's another 15 years that's in the southern kingdom. And we're starting to see this, this idea of idol worship being built up even within the southern kingdom because of the leadership of Judah and the connection to King Ahab. And then we come to 2 Kings chapter 12. In 2 Kings chapter 12, we're introduced to Joash, who's been preserved from his, grand, from, his, uh, from his grandmother, who's out there killing everybody, killing all the sons who would be king. And in the seventh year of Jehu, who's the king in the, southern, in the northern kingdom, Joash becomes king. Athaliah is overthrown and killed, and Joash becomes king. And he, he reigns in Jerusalem for 40 years. His mother's name was Zibiah, and she was from Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years that Jehodiah, uh, the priest, instructed him. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Joash said to the priest, collect all the money that is brought as sacred offerings to the temple of the Lord. The money collected in the census, the money received from personal vows, and the money brought voluntarily to the temple. Let every priest receive the money from one of the treasurers and let it be used to repair whatever damage is found in the temple. But by the 23rd year of King Joash, the priest still had not repaired the temple. Therefore, King Joash summoned Jehoiada, the priests and other priests, and asked them, Why aren't you repairing the damage done to the temple? Take no more money from your treasurers, but hand it over for the repairing of the temple. The priest agrees that they would not collect any more money from the people. And that they would not repair the temple themselves. Jehoiada, the priest, took a chest and bored a hole in its lid. And he placed it beside the altar and on the right hand as one enters the temple of the Lord. The priest who guarded the entrance put into the chest all the money that was brought to the temple of the Lord. And whenever they saw that there was a large amount of money in the chest, the royal secretary and the high priest came, counted the money that had been brought to the temple of the Lord and put it into bags. And when the amount had been determined, they gave the money to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And when they had paid those who had worked on the temple of the Lord, the carpenters and the builders, the masons and stonecutters, they purchased timber and dressed stone for the repair of the temple of the Lord and met all the other expenses of restoring the temple. 
The money brought into the temple was not spent for making silver basins or wick trimmers or sprinkling bowls, trumpets, or any other articles of the Lord uh, of gold or silver for the temple of the Lord. It was paid to the workmen who used it to repair the temple. And they did not require an accounting from those whom they gave the money to pay the workers because they had acted with complete honesty. The money from the guilt offerings and the sin offerings was brought into the temple of the Lord and it belonged to the priests. So one of the things that we see here is that Joash is showing in this early time in his, in his kingship. He's going to be king for 40 years. In the first 23 years, we see he is very dedicated to the causes of God, to the things of the Lord. As long as Jehoiada, the priest who was there, who obviously was a very big mentor to him, was there, he was doing great. He had this, this kind of persevering faith, if you will. 23 years later, he's still asking about the things of God and trying to say, hey, why isn't the temple restored yet? We should have it, we should have it all fixed by now, right? But it's not fixed, so you need to do something. And they created a plan so that they would have the temple of the Lord fixed. Again, we're seeing reforms happening in the southern kingdom now under Joash over these 23 years, trying to get rid of all of this bad influence that had been brought in the 15 years before through Ahab's family that had kind of worked its way into the kingship of the southern kingdom of Judah. And so Jehu in the north is having his reforms. And now... Joash in the south is having his reforms and trying to have a regard for the worship place of God and saying, hey, this cannot stay in disrepair. You know, you and I need a persevering faith. You know, 23 years and saying it's still worth fixing the Lord's temple was a a beautiful thing to hear from Joash. But you and I need a persevering faith as well. One that doesn't last a year or two years or four years or is just based upon emotion, but is based upon a a true commitment to Jesus Christ. One that doesn't waver no matter what's happening in this world because things change very quickly as we've really been reminded of here in 2020, haven't we? How is our faith going to stand the test of time when all of these things can change in a moment's notice? Right? If we're just pushed around by our emotions, they they won't last very long, will they? And the object of our faith cannot be something that is so fleeting that our emotions can change it. The object of our faith has to be confident and unchanging. And that's why when Josh talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we celebrate communion together, this is where our faith is in. It's not in something that's fleeting or going to change. It's not like the resurrection of Jesus is going to change tomorrow. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen. The resurrection of Jesus has happened. It's a, it's a fact and the part of faith that is connecting us one to another. And it doesn't change just because our situation changes. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. Those are things that we can hold on to and persevere in because it's not rooted in emotion. It's rooted in fact. And so what we see with Joash in these first years... It seems to be a persevering faith. But what was Joash's faith in is a really good question. 
And we kind of see what happens to him, not so much in the king's account, but in our extra reading. If you guys are doing your extra reading that we have in our books, uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 24, we see the end of his life and we see a radical change that happens. Second Chronicles chapter 24, starting in verse 17. It says, after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king. And he listened to them. And they abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and worshipped the asterisk poles and idols. And because of their guilt, God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. And although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, the priest. And he stood before the people and said, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. But they plotted against him. And by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father Jehoiada had showed him, but killed his son who said as he lay dying, may the Lord see this and call you to account. At the turn of the year, the army of Aram uh, marched against Joash and it invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the people and they sent all the plunder to the king in Damascus. And although the Aramean army had come with only a few men, the Lord delivered into their hands a much larger army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers judgment was executed on Joash. When the Arameans withdrew, they left Joash severely wounded, and his officials conspired against him for murdering the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and they killed him in his bed. And so he died and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Those who had conspired against him were Zebad, son of Shimeath, and an Ammonite woman, and Jehoazabad, son of Shermath, a Moabite woman. The account of his sons, the many prophecies about him, and the record of the restoration of the temple of God are written in the annotations on the book of Kings, which we just read. And Amaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. If you would have asked Joash, year 23, when he walks up to the priest... Jehoiada, who had obviously been a mentor to him. If you had asked Joash at that time, do you think that you're going to find yourself someone who kills the son of your mentor? I bet money he would have said, no way. There's absolutely no way. I love this man too much. I love his family too much. There's no reason why I would ever do that. He's been my friend ever since. He's saved me from being murdered. His family has saved me. I've been raised by this man. Why would I ever turn my back on somebody who treated me so well? I mean, look what I'm doing right now. I'm building and rebuilding the temple of the Lord. What happened? I think we see the destructive results of ungodly counsel. 
It said the leaders and the nobles of the people of Judah came and paid homage to him. And he started listening to their counsel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. And I'm sure that if I, I talk with some of you older people, there are some people that have surprised you over the years. People that you thought were solid in their faith. Or, or for example, maybe solid in their marriage. They've been married for 20, 30, 35 years and all of a sudden... It all falls apart. All of a sudden, just like that, they're no longer together. And we see the painful destruction of a marriage. People we thought never in a million years would those people have ever got divorced. Or never in a million years would this person ever turn out to be the person he's become or she's become. Or this person who I I thought that they were growing up in the church for so long. And they seemed so on fire for Jesus. I never thought they would turn their back on Christ. Because they had walked with Jesus. It just seemed like they had walked with Jesus for so long. I think when we look at Joash. I think a lot of people thought the same thing. I think if you would have asked Joash. He would have thought the same thing. And it's really, really a scary thing to read in the scripture because we know we see these things in real life, don't we? We see people we've known and loved turn away from Jesus. We've seen people we know and love turn away from their families. We see people we know and love acting so differently than we ever thought they would act before. Because we have a history, right? A history of them acting what would seem to be the right way. But bad company corrupts good character, no matter how good that character may be or for how long. Matthew chapter 24, we're warned at the end of times that things are going to get hard. And not only are things going to get hard, but it's going to test the faith and reveal the faith of so many people. As to whether or not they're really Christ or not. Because you know what? It'd be great. Wouldn't it be awesome? Is if somebody came to know Jesus Christ. There'd be a little halo on their head. So you knew that they were saved. They're good. Okay. We're good. Because God takes care of his own. Right? The Lord knows whose are his. The problem is we don't. Do we? be sitting among us for years and years and years and years even second john talks about um excuse me first john chapter two talks about people who had infiltrated the church they came out from among us but they weren't really one of us because if they were one of us they would have remained in our teaching but their going from us shows that they were never one of us to begin with now we're all suspicious of one another right turn around you really a believer are you really a believer And maybe we should ask ourselves that question. What what is our faith in? Is our faith in something flighty? Because I think in the end, Joash's faith is not necessarily in the Lord. I think it was in Jehoiada. And when Jehoiada's influence had left his life because he had been there for so long, other people stepped in and replaced it and God was supplanted. Matthew 24, at the end of time, Jesus talks about the end times. Starting in verse 4. And listen to what he says. It says, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. 
For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but still the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by, by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And we see kind of the same thing prophesied for the future. That it's not enough to say, hey, I got a, I got a 30-year track record of going to church. So I should be good with Jesus. I've given so much money and and built up so much of God's church. That pew was given. I've got a little. We don't have pews in our church. For those of you who are online, I'm saying pew, but it means nothing. Uh, But that chair, that pew has my name on it because I've given so much to this church. So I'm good, right? Right? I've been here for 35 years. That, That should secure my place in heaven, right? And now, after all of this time, I have the freedom to go and do what I want to do, right? Is that how it works? Faith in Jesus Christ is just so easily cast off? Just because we want to or we think we've done enough? You know, when I gave my life to Jesus, I gave him my life. Not part of my life. Not some of my life. Not 20 years of my life, or 30, or 40. He gets it all. Because he died for me. My commitment to Christ isn't dependent upon how long I live. Or when I came to Jesus, I came to Jesus at 8. Man, if I live to be 90, that means I'll serve Jesus for 82 years. And some people here are only serving Jesus for like 16 It's not a matter of your age. It's a matter of your life. And what's going to happen is when things get hard here at the end, it says we're going to see people falling away from the faith. Why are they falling away? Because just like Joash, whatever security it was that made them think that faith was was something that they could hold on to, whether it was a mentoring relationship or whether it was just good times because it was easy to believe, When it becomes hard, they start falling away and those true colors start showing. And we see the destructive results of ungodly counsel in Joash's life. Because he surrounded himself with bad company after Jehoiada had passed away. How many of us can say we've seen the same thing in other people's lives? They were doing so good until blank came into his life. Some of you are thinking about people right now, aren't you? You're thinking about people. You're thinking about other people that brought in and drug them away. Much like Joash was drug away from knowing God and knowing God personally. I mean, so much so to the point that he murders the son of the man who is his mentor and most likely raised him. Probably brothers growing up in the same household. 
And by the king's order, he's told to be stoned to death in the courtyard of the temple, the very temple he built up. How crazy is that? How far he's fallen, right? And Joash is a cautionary tale for you and me to know that that same fate could happen to you as well. That while there were reforms in the north by Jehu, and while Joash had reforms in the south for as long as Jehoiada was alive. Boy, that's a name right there, right? Somebody needs to name their child Jehoiada, okay? But while he was alive, he had an influence over Joash, but not so much so that Joash had a personal relationship with the Lord. Because it was so easily taken away after Jehoiada was taken away from him. And we don't know why. Was he bitter at God because Jehoiada was taken away? I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. Scripture says other people got around him. And he started listening to their counsel. And their counsel drew him away from God. Not just away from God, but to worshiping other gods. And something you would have never thought would have happened to somebody who seemed so faithful and is called a good king because of his reforms but on a personal basis wasn't so good he ends up getting buried in Jerusalem but not in the tombs of the kings because of the dishonor that he's brought upon the kingship of Judah You and I have a responsibility in our relationship with Jesus Christ to avoid Joash's faith, fate, not faith. He didn't have faith. That's the problem. Joash did a couple of things. He didn't do a couple of things that we ought to be doing. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends upon human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. His friend's advice was never looked at in the light of the word of God. Otherwise, he definitely wouldn't have built asterisk poles, right? He wouldn't have gone and worshipped idols, would he have? If he knew anything about the word of God at all, he would have known that those things were wrong. So he didn't go back and say, wait a second, these newfound friends who want to who give me all of this praise are telling me to do things that God doesn't want me to do. They may not be great friends after all. Second Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 5. Paul is talking about argumentations that's coming against him as being an apostle for Christ. And he says in verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Do we do that with our lives? I think that should be the striving of every Christian, everybody who calls himself a believer in Christ. I can tell you this, that if you come to our office, me or Pastor Mark, 
and you're saying, hey, can you help us with this, with this issue, with this relationship, with this problem, whatever it may be, I can tell you the first place we're going to take you. We're going to take you to the word of God because our word means nothing and God's word means everything. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We don't want to give you our opinion on something. We want to give you what God's word says concerning that. Some people don't want to hear God's word. Some people want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. So they can go and do what they want to do. I think Joash ended up in that camp. Whatever caused him to go to that camp, I don't know. Whether it was the accolades of other people who were fawning praise on him. The loss of Jehoiada. And blaming God for that loss. Because I know a lot of people, death of someone very close to you can be a, a, a huge marker, right? To an abandonment of faith. But at that point, is your faith in God or was your faith in that person whom you lost? See, you and I are called by Jesus Christ to take every bit of advice that we get and compare it to the word of God. And if it doesn't stack up, sorry, not taking it. If it's uncomfortable, if it's unpopular, it doesn't matter. Because our commitment isn't to our feelings at that moment. Our commitment is to the God whom we say we serve. If it can be so easily switched, are we really serving God at all? You know, Pastor Mark and I have lost friends who have come to our office for counsel. Because they've heard in our office things that they didn't want to hear. Not because we're trying to just tell them something they don't want to hear. We're trying to lead them back to what the word of God says. And I promise you, if you come to our office and it's something that's so definitive in the word of God, this is where I'm going. I'm holding up my phone, but it's the Bible app, I promise. Because in the end, we don't want you wrestling with us. You've made a commitment to Jesus Christ. You've come to us for counsel. It's our job to equip you for your works of service, which means keeping you faithful to Christ, which means we're going to do those things. We're going to demolish arguments that set itself up against Jesus. We're going to test and see the things that you're talking about, whether or not the word of God supports the way that you're going. And if it's not, the only obligation we have because we love Jesus and because we love you It's to lead you back to the word of God and to obedience in him. That's it. Whether you want to hear that or not is irrelevant. We love you too much not to tell you the truth. And the question comes down to, in the end, will that be enough for you to follow God because of what Jesus has done for you? Because if it's not, the danger is this. You very well could end up like Joash. So who are you surrounding yourself with? Are they believers in Christ who are going to draw you back to Jesus? Who are going to point out the word of God? Who are going to say, when you come and come with this problem, I'm going to lead you back to the word of God? It doesn't matter. Again, if you've been here for 40 or 50 years, it doesn't matter. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that will keep us faithful. Because if not, 
We're going to be part of those factions that are going to betray each other because at some point our faith is going to get tested in a way we don't like. And we're going to run to our happy place, whatever that happy place is. And my prayer for you is that your happy place is with Christ. No matter what happens in this world, that your happy place is with Christ. He's the only one who saves. He's the only one who has the power over sin and death. He's the only one who has the answer for eternal life. He's the only one who can give you life to the full here on earth and life abundantly. We have to look forward to. No matter what hardships we might have to face. See, Joe Ash is a cautionary tale for you and me. Not to put our faith in a building. Not to put our faith in a, in a faithful person who God has surrounded us with. But to put our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. God may have given you great parents. Your parents can't save you. Only your relationship with Jesus can save you. You have to make that your personal relationship. Because someday, your parents aren't going to be here anymore. I hate to say that. It's true. And when that happens, are we going to get bitter to God? Because he's already promised that death reigns in this world until Christ returns. But he's already, this death is a defeated enemy. And praise God, we can trust in Christ that though death is a defeated enemy, we have something to look forward to. So the death of a loved one close to us who may have meant a lot to us and, and tried to mentor us in Christ shouldn't shake our faith so much to believe that we can't believe in God anymore. We never promised they were going to live forever here on earth. Ever. No place in the word of God. When the old things pass away and the new things come, it says no more pain or suffering, which means pain and suffering are part of our existence here on earth. To hold that against God when he's already provided the answer in Jesus is to put your faith in something else other than Jesus. And to put you on a path that may lead down the same path that Joash took. And I don't want that for any of you. So your faith has to be in Christ. Not in me. Not in Pastor Mark. Not in Heights Christian Church. Not in my grandmother or my mother or my dad or my good friend who led me to Jesus. To be sure, all those people should be encouragements to all of us in the faith. But they're not what we're supposed to have our faith in. And if they are, we may find ourselves vastly different people 25 years from now than we think we are today. Would you stand with me? Where's your faith? Is it in Christ? Is it in his finished work on the cross, his sacrifice, his resurrection from the dead, his promise that he has delivered us from the dark dominion of this world and put us into the kingdom of his father who is forever praised, amen? Or is it in something else? Or is it in somebody else who does have that hope? Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. Don't ever forget that and don't ever put your hope in anything else. 
and always compare whatever you're getting, advice from everybody else, because you're supposed to love Jesus first and foremost to the word of God. And you make sure Jesus says yes to that before you just assume it's okay. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for our time together today. I want to thank you for the cautionary tale of Joash. The idea that you and I could put faith in something else other than you and yet seem holy and righteous and good, Lord. Help us to test our motivations before you, dear Heavenly Father, of why we want to do certain things or why we want to believe certain things, that we would come to your word, dear Heavenly Father, and we would look and make sure that it aligns with the word of God because our allegiance is to Jesus and to Jesus alone. Our faith should be in Jesus and Jesus alone. And God, we thank you. We thank you for a great church family. And we thank you for mentors. And we thank you for moms and dads and grandparents and friends who may lead us and and encourage us in our faith with Jesus Christ. But God, help us never to confuse our relationship with them, which should be an encouragement with a foundational relationship with you, which should be paramount. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, compare everything to what you've said in your word that we know that we're walking with Christ. May we honor and glorify him with our lives, not part of our lives, not most of our lives, with all of our lives. And that we may hear those words at the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will make you master over many. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that there are many here, all here, I pray, who would come to know you in that way. Be faithful to you, you alone, in an unwavering faith that lasts a lifetime. In Jesus' name, amen.